Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And it seems like ancient history already, but we're here to talk about the 2015 NFL Draft, which concluded, oh, what, about 10, 11 days ago now. Uh, there's a new batch of Green Bay Packers that were drafted on that past uh, weekend. Also, there's been some free agent acquisitions, as there always are after the draft, and maybe we'll give some lip service to those guys as well. But of course, the big story right now in the NFL is the suspension of Tom Brady as uh, the fallout to the Deflategate scandal that originated back at the AFC Championship game, so we're going to have some things to say about that as well. Uh, Matt, as far as Packers go for right now today, the biggest thing going on uh, that I'm watching right now as I speak to you is Aaron Rodgers on Celebrity Jeopardy as he takes on an astronaut and Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. I got a chance to watch that as uh, I was waiting for us to go on here, and he's actually doing pretty well so far. Nice. Yeah, I, I just saw on Facebook as I was getting everything loaded up here that he was on that I had no idea, so that'll be interesting to see how he does. seems like a pretty smart guy. Went to Cal. Should be all right. Yeah, yeah, it would be uh, uh, interesting to see if he'll be able to pull out the win. I don't want to spoil it for anybody because Jeopardy is a syndicated show, but uh, as of right now, he's leading. Um, wow. I won't tell you how far I am in the program, though, in case uh, somebody's really uh, waiting with bated breath <laughs> to see that. But, uh, yeah, uh, so far so good for Aaron. And also for the Packers now, uh, the draft kind of getting, I don't, know, I don't know if I want to say mixed reviews, but the the draft this year was a prime example about why we don't put a ton of effort into scouting players prior to the Packers draft, because I don't know about you, Matt, but I think outside of vaguely recognizing one or two of those names, every single guy that the Packers got I had never heard of before the draft weekend. Right, yeah, there's a couple of guys that you had heard about slightly. You know, obviously everybody knew Brett Hundley, and I know that I'd, I had heard of Ty Montgomery and... Um, I'd, uh, Jake I'd, Ryan a little bit at least, and Quentin and, Rollins. I had at least heard his name around the elite corner talk. Sure. So, but yeah, other than that, it, it was a lot of kind of no-name guys, which is always the worst thing, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I didn't know hardly anything about any of these guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, we'll just break it down real quick. So the picks for the Packers at thirty in the first round, they got Demarius Randall, the safety out of Arizona State, kind of surprised everyone, but it. It seems like he might not play safety, that he is going to have a chance to play cornerback. Uh, number 62 overall in the second round, they drafted Quinton Rollins, the cornerback out of Miami of Ohio. A lot of talk about him as a potential steal in the draft. Some uncertainty with him as he's had it. He only played one year at Miami of Ohio, but going in his favor, Quinton Rollins just sounds like a Pro Bowl cornerback name. <laughs> Uh, also, Ty Montgomery, the wide receiver out of Stanford uh, in the third round, pick 94 overall. Uh, people are talking that not only would he be an effective returner, but he has the potential to do some of the backfield stuff that Randall Cobb is currently doing. Big pick here, fourth round, 129th overall. They get Jake Ryan, the linebacker out of Michigan. He's listed as an outside linebacker in some places, but he's expected to probably play inside linebacker. Maybe the most interesting pick of all, fifth round, 147th, the Green Bay Packers move up to draft UCL, UCLA quarterback Brett Hundley. Then uh, three sixth-round picks to close out the draft for the Packers. They got uh, Aaron Ripkowski, the fullback out of Oklahoma, Christian Ringo, the defensive end out of Louisiana Lafayette, and then uh, Kennard Backman at the tight end out of uh, UAB, which I think UAB now doesn't even have football anymore. So Correct. he might be the final player ever to enter the NFL out of UAB, so yep. that'll be an interesting footnote. Uh, so, Matt, overall impressions of the draft? 
Yeah, I think it was pretty good. And honestly, I haven't looked too much into the analysis of it so far. It, it was very interesting to see them pick two uh, likely corners, one and two. It's definitely an area of need. So mm-hmm. I guess if you can lock down that uh, that gap there right away with your first two picks, I guess that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, could have maybe used a little bit more depth on in the linebacker and in the defensive line, but. Um, overall, you know, I, I know Ted knows a lot more about what he's doing than, than I do, so I'm not going to criticize him too much for anything here. But it, it sounds like the first two picks especially. I mean, strictly cover guys, kind of the way the NFL is going. So it's if you can put that into your defense and, and kind of make something like what Seattle's got going on right now, even if it's just half of that, you're still in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the way the NFL is right now is passing. So get the corners first, and I, I did like that. Yeah, and you still get the sense that they were drafting best player available because they let some need guys go yeah. um, that they could have potentially got. And uh, uh, Kendricks, the linebacker out of UCLA, ended up going to the Vikings. I can't remember the name of the guy that went to the Bears, the defensive tackle from Florida State. Um, Eric, uh, Eddie Goldman was another yeah. guy that people were looking at. So interesting to see that. I, I guess I don't know at this stage too much between the two guys the Packers got and some of the other cornerbacks that went later uh, in the or, uh, earlier and later in the draft than the, the Packers got. But to me, it really emphasizes that they must not be too worried about that inside linebacker position. Right. Uh, they did get Jake Ryan, and for a while there, it was kind of hairy if you were really worried about that need. But they were able to wait. They look like they got a guy who might be able to step in and play. But it gives you the sense that they're more worried about that perimeter and that um, and maybe rightfully so, that they've had some weaknesses on the inside for quite some time now, and it hasn't killed them. So I think they are not, they're more worried about showing up that outside, and if the inside is a little bit suspect, that they think they can correct it with some of the guys they have. And I think rightfully so. I mean, I, I think that's what you need to be most concerned about. You know, other than San Francisco seems to be kind of dead, and mm-hmm. other than that, Seattle is really the only power running team left that you're going to have to contend with, it seems. So. You know, if you can uh, just sure up the outsides and have a strong secondary, then I think that's definitely what you got to go for. And I think part of them is more confident than they were last year. They got Guyon back in the fold, and they got B.J. Raji back. Maybe they think that, and I think Jake Ryan is going to be a contributor. They also have Carl Bradford coming back, who didn't True, play yep. at all. You, you tend to just be so excited about these new picks, and then the picks last year who either got IR'd or didn't get a chance to play, you forget that they ever existed. And so some of those guys that are 2014 picks that we had listed as zeros on the last show might mm-hmm. be the answer at some of these positions. But yeah, that's true. I think that B.J. Raji being in there, and maybe they think that uh, they can disrupt right up front rather than uh, have the linebackers be responsible for shoring up that run defense. Sure. Okay, um, so yeah, overall, uh, I think a pretty effective draft. So far, I haven't seen hardly anything on any of the guys, but you've heard good things about the rookie camp. I can't remember them ever saying bad things about the rookie camp, mind you, but uh, so far it seems like all the guys uh, have a really good attitude coming in to compete. Uh, they're all excited to be in Green Bay, so... Hopefully we get some nice players out of this. What did you think of the uh, Ripkowski pick for a a fullback in the sixth round? Yeah, interesting. It it seems like everybody thinks he's going to be really good right away, and it seems like he's kind of a a carbon copy of Kuhn. um, Are Kuhn's days numbered then? (laughs) What's that? I said are Kuhn's days numbered then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, it seems like he's a special teams warrior, something that Kuhn's not as much as he used to be. Um, And you you can just kind of tell by the lack of commitment to Kuhn that, 
you know, they're, they're probably willing to go a different direction and they're not really sold on him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these year-to-year deals were going to end at some point. So if you get a guy who can replace him, I think six-round pick's not good for what you get back in value there. Yeah, and how long did it take them to sign Kuhn? It felt like he yeah. picked a couple or uh, picked back up a couple of days before the draft. So, yeah, I think if this guy, unless he's terrible in camp, uh, there's a really good chance that Kuhn is one of the high-profile cuts, unfortunately. Right, yep. So any other teams that really stood out to you in the draft? I know, as I said in the beginning, that it feels like almost an eternity since the draft has taken right. place. Yeah. But was there anybody that stood out to you, good or bad? Um, I guess um, I'm just trying to look over the list again here. Uh, obviously the Jaguars pick, you kind of like the oh, pick when they yeah. made it, but it, that's unfortunate for them. Um, the Jets being able to get Leonard William at six was pretty incredible for them. Mm-hmm. I know they don't have... Well, they've got another defensive-minded coach, so he goes with the, what a lot of people thought was the best uh, player in the draft there. Mm-hmm. The the Bears pick with Kevin White was interesting, I That thought. was great. I, like, cheered. Yeah. Yeah, and you always kind of... I mean, he, he could be a very good receiver, but their defense is so bad, and they've had elite receivers out there with Cutler you know, for the last two years, and it hasn't made a difference at all. So I'm pretty excited to not see, like, a, a defensive playmaker or anything like that. And their pick, so I think that was kind of a lose. And who knows, he might be good, but receivers are just not as valuable as maybe some other positions if um, you don't have a winning team. So other than that, you know, Detroit getting Amir Abdullah, I thought was kind of a steal where they got him. Mm-hmm. Um, could be pretty good for him there, and it's nice to see uh, Melvin Gordon go somewhere you can actually cheer for him as well. Yeah, that was a huge sigh of relief because he's been one of the more enjoyable Badgers that we've ever seen. And to know that he's going to go to San Diego, he'll play the Packers, what, maybe three times his whole career. Yeah. So it, it'll it be easy to root for him out there. And uh, it'll, it was interesting to me that the Rams selected Todd Gurley over Melvin Gordon, and I'm not quite sure why they did that. I, I didn't hear much since then. Granted, they're both great, great talents, but... I thought Melvin Gordon vastly outplayed him, uh, not only last year, and of course Gurley had the the injury, but it felt like towards the end of 2013 as well, Melvin Gordon was really coming on, and, and Todd Gurley had kind of shown us his best already. Yeah, there was sort of a weird push, it seemed like, at the end as the draft got near, whereas at first Gurley wasn't even considered a first-round pick because of the injury, and then all of a sudden people were talking that he was you know, a top-five player in the draft and that he was going to go top-10 easily, mm-hmm. which he ended up doing at the number-10 spot. It just seemed like people th- seemed to think he had a little bit more upside mm-hmm. uh, than Melvin Gordon did. I know there's always been the concerns about the pass catching and the top-end speed for Gordon, mm-hmm. so maybe that had something to do with it, but I think people just kind of thought il- Gurley has more of a chance to be elite potentially. Yeah, and maybe that's possible. I know people were really getting on Melvin Gordon as being a fumbler. Like, I, I heard Todd McShay, I think, and some of the other ESPN analysts talking about how he's a fumbler, and he struggled with fumbles last year, undoubtedly, but what, it was like his first fumble ever came yeah, last year? Yeah, before that, he hadn't had any problems. <laughs> yeah, so, it, you know, I guess one season can do that for you. And in the same way that I guess I just ju- judged Todd Gurley for being an injury risk when he just got hurt once last year, so... Um, probably a horse apiece, but I think uh, b- being biased that I, I thought Melvin Gordon was going to be a higher pick than Todd Gurley. The receiver thing that you touched upon, I thought it was insane. The Bears got a wide receiver, but Oakland taking a receiver at number four. You also have Devontae Parker going to the Dolphins at number 14. Then you had the Eagles taking a wide receiver at number 20. Aguilar, yep. 
then Baltimore taking a receiver, uh, Brett Perriman's kid, right? Yeah, um, Rashad Perryman. And then you have the Colts taking course. a wide receiver. And I don't understand why these people are investing such high picks in wide receivers, Oakland especially, and if Leonard Williams ends up being any good, they're going to look foolish forever. Because once Megatron had almost 2,000 yards receiving for a 4-12 and team, I don't yeah. know why anybody would ever again invest that much in a wide receiver. The Packers have developed two of the best all-pro caliber wide receivers, both getting them in the second round. Greg Jennings was a second-round pick. James Jones was a third-round pick. I know Aaron Rodgers has a lot to do with that, but Megatron is the ultimate guy who makes something from nothing as a wide receiver, and he can't turn them into a winner by himself. So the wide receiver is such a dependent position. I am not a general manager, but why are so many teams still falling for the flash when it's clear that the flashiest of flash in Calvin Johnson can't carry a team on his own? Yeah, that's a really interesting point, too, because it's, it's it, you know, the, the way the league is going, it's so pass-happy, so you kind of, your initial thought is, yeah, of course I want these elite receivers, but you would think that these general managers general managers are smart enough to kind of look at the way the league's gone. I mean, look at these teams with elite receivers. They're all wild card loss teams, basically. Yeah. Um, none of them can make a push. Look at the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year. It was New England and Seattle, and neither of them had any decent receivers. Mm-hmm. It's it's a position that seems, from when you look at the league from a big picture, is something that you would need, <laughs> but it's almost the opposite. Is the teams that are paying these guys big money. Um, and teams like the Packers can get guys that you don't have to pay quite as much, and uh, you can you can suffice if you've got a decent quarterback and a good offensive line with pretty much anybody because they're all good. You don't really need that one elite guy that you're paying you know ten million dollars a year for. In fact, it's it's a hindrance to all those teams. Yeah, it's almost a waste of your cap space. Yeah. yeah. How many playoff games has Larry Fitzgerald won? You know, I mean, he had Kurt Warner <laughs> and and all that stuff, but. Um, yeah, you look at the guys who New England has won Super Bowls with, and, you know, the Packers have had, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, and they've had some really, really good receivers, but it's no coincidence that they're able to make almost everybody a new good receiver. Heck, Boykin had, what, almost 700 yards playing with Matt Flynn for a whole yeah. season? Yeah. I mean, so I think there are so many good wide receivers. You could get somebody that's Pro Bowl caliber probably day two or even day three nowadays, so very strange. Uh, last thing I'll say on the draft, I think that the Jets had some really good picks. Not only did they get uh, Leonard Williams, but then uh, they got uh, Devin Smith from Ohio State. I thought they did some really nice things. I thought they got another really good defensive guy, but now I can't find him on my list here. Um, uh, but, yeah, so I guess that's what I'm saying. About a second here. Yeah, but, yeah, I like the Devin Smith pick a lot. After. Yeah. Maybe I'm just kind of – Although we just trashed wide receivers. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but they didn't. They also didn't take him in the first round, and no, I think you know if you watch those last few games of the year, he was just killing everybody, mm-hmm. and he he looked like the best receiver in the country. They got Bryce Petty in the fourth round, um, mm-hmm. so a potential replacement quarterback in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it for the guys that I knew. Yeah, but I think that's a pretty solid draft for a team that's in their position. Right. You know, of course. These bad teams always look like they have phenomenal drafts because they're, the, <laughs> yep. they're in the position to draft the guys you've actually heard of. You know, the Packers, when they're picking at the end of the rounds, you've never heard of the guys before, and then, you know, they might end up good or bad. But All right, so I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted with the draft. The 
ESPN and NFL Network are still showing tons yeah, it's of... it's weird. Yeah, well, yeah, why? Like, Path to the Draft? I'm like, I don't care about any of these guys anymore. I already know where they are. I'm zoned in on the guys drafted by the team I care about and some of the other notables, but... Yeah, they're still profiling these people like it's ha- it's going to happen, and, and maybe it's just the time of the year we're in, so there's a void of programming. But let's move on from the draft, can we? Right. Uh, one team that would like to go back to a couple weeks ago is probably the New England Patriots, because now they have found out that the the NFL has laid down their ruling for Deflate Gate. The Wells report came out last Wednesday. I am such a nerd that even though I made fun of the report, I ended up reading the whole thing. Wow. Um, it actually was quite interesting. So, Matt, I assume you did not read the whole thing? I did not. So, yeah, we can have the perspective of a dumb guy who's just kind of <laughs> looking from the outside at all the reports and then somebody who's actually read the report. Okay, and so in case you don't know, which I find incredibly improbable if you're listening to this show, Tom Brady was suspended for the first four games of the season. The Patriots were fined a million dollars. They're losing their first-round draft choice next year and their fourth-round draft choice the following year. Uh, Before we delve into some of the aspects of the report, uh, you having not read the report and maybe just reading the secondhand details, do you think this punishment is fair? It seems a little harsh. I, I guess I'm not super outraged, but I think one of the facts that really irks me a little bit about it, and not that I'm a Patriots back or anything, but the fact that there's no, you know, there's no smoking gun and there's just no, I mean, it's like they most likely did it and it's just kind of all verbiage like that. And, uh, and even when, with the Tom Brady stuff, his, he was generally aware of what was going on. It's just, mm-hmm. nothing was super incriminating from what I've heard, but that for them to dole out this huge of a punishment, um, you know, Tom Brady is technically a first-time offender, gets four games, mm-hmm. and loses all that money. The team loses a first-round draft pick, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the million-dollar fine seems maybe right. I could get on board with that. But I think had it been two games for Brady and, you know, maybe a second-round draft pick instead of a first and a fourth, mm-hmm. I'd say that maybe closer to what I would suggest. It, it seems a little harsh for nothing really concrete. And I'm actually going to disagree. I felt that after having read the report that I'm 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 okay with the, the punishment, but I thought it was on the lower end of what I I thought he should have got six or eight games. Okay. The the legalese language. The reason it was phrased that way is because the more probable than not language is the burden of proof in the NFL collective bargaining agreement. So that's why they phrased it that way. It's more of like a civil case, and, and I've heard a lot of people who are against it having said that, wow, that's quite a weaselly way to describe it. Yeah. But that's the burden of proof in not only a civil case, but this is not an actual court case. This is a collective bargaining case. And they only have to prove 51% guilt uh, gotcha. in, in order to give punishment. And I think that four games seems fair. They're treating them like a PED user, which, you know, you can debate the competitive advantage of deflating footballs in the same way you can de- debate the competitive advantage of a linebacker using PEDs. Right. So I think that's fair, and I think it's fair to not treat them as a first-time offender. Having Spygate and all of those things in the past, I think it's fair to uh, take that into account. When it was the same quarterback, it was the same coach from back then. Um, I did take a few notes of things within the report that I thought were interesting that I could bring up, and then uh, if there anything sounds uh, like something you want to comment on as I talk, feel free to chime in. So, uh, as I already mentioned, the standard of proof was um, you have to determine whether the fact uh, it was more probable than not that they committed the accused infraction. 
the thing that was damning against the Patriots is that they cooperated in facilitating the uh, turning over of electronic communications between the ball boy who was, I can't remember, uh, Jim McNally, who he was the guy calling himself the deflator, um, and then also Jastromsky, uh, Jim Jastromsky, who was the, um, so McNally was the guy who's the, Referee room attendant, so he was the one who actually allegedly deflated the balls. Yastrzemski was one of the equipment managers, so he's technically um, overseeing McNally for you know simplistic sake. And the way the, the the Patriots allowed those guys to be interviewed, but McNally was not allowed to get a follow-up interview like everybody else was. And Brady would not turn over any of his emails, any of his texts, any of his phone logs, um, even if the investigators would have collected them in the presence of Patriot lawyers. And so he's the only guy that refused to give any of his stuff over. And, you know, it's not solid fact, but, again, circumstantial evidence is admissible in this kind of determination that they're making. Um, Brady was the only guy amongst the almost 50 interviews that uh, insisted on being interviewed with his own agents and own lawyers present. So I don't think that makes it look very good. Everybody else had Patriots team counsel uh, in the, uh, like general team counsel in the interviews. The Patriots did not turn over McNally's phone, only uh, selected texts, so McNally's the deflator, only selected texts and call logs, and uh, they turned over uh, some of the phones to an outside company that has an expertise in that that was working for the Wells Report, uh, but they wouldn't turn over McNally's. And uh, like I said, Tom Brady would not turn over anything. And that's part of the NFL collective bargaining agreement. Not that you are required to do that, but that they take into account how cooperative you are with the investigation. Um, The other thing that doesn't look great for Brady is he constantly talked about how he had never heard of McNally until the the deflate gate started. He didn't know about the rule with the the 13 PSI uh, or 12 PSI. It's... Sorry, 12.5 PSIs to 13.5 PSIs is the range, when in actuality the reason that rule exists that quarterbacks can determine what the balls feel like is because Brady was one of the key lobbyists um, in 2006 to get that change to that the quarterbacks get to determine the pressure of the balls. So they get to inspect them before the referees inspect them so that they're up to their specification. He was the driver of that rule change, uh, one of the key drivers of that rule change. I don't want to say it was just him. And it's the only major rule change to football inflation since the 1940s, and he was a part of that. And so I think that uh, was interesting, and... Um, the last thing is that Tom Brady had almost no contact with either of the guys, the equipment manor, Jastrzemski, or this McNally, who he supposedly had never heard of. Um, he had had no contact with them on, the cell, on either of those guys' cell phones in over six months. And then in the days after Deflategate, he had several times a day communicated with uh, Jastrzemski, the equipment manager. Uh, he had calls that were longer than uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes. He talked to him on one day for over 25 minutes, and this was every single day. And he started texting them every single day for the first few days after the deflate gate. And now, wow. not a, not necessarily a smoking gun, but none of that makes him look that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard the you know the fifty one percent thing like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's good to know. I think basically your little summary right there was more than I've heard on any hot take so far. <laughs> I think you're probably the only person that's read that whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean that's a lot of good information I didn't know before too. I it I think what it just seems so intense is because it's Brady. I mean if you yeah. give it to like a running back or a linebacker or something like that, you're like oh, four games, they'll come back, team will be all right. But, I mean, when it's a quarterback and an elite quarterback, you're like, man, that's basically a four-game killer for that team. Mm-hmm. And, and that first-round pick really hits home, too, even though it's likely going to be a later pick. It, uh, Yeah, you, you definitely made some good points there. You know, Tom Brady, even it, you know, with what you said, it, I'm looking at him as more of a first-time offender, not the Patriots. So, you know, maybe the first-round pick makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, he probably wasn't necessarily involved in Spygate. But, you know, a first-time offender for PED uses four games. Yeah. Um, so for that to be related to you know cheating the game and getting an advantage like that, I guess I can see that makes sense too. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I I've heard so many people talk about uh, different things with this. Like the the big thing being the how how much help could a deflated football be? And that's not the point. It's the intent to cheat. I mean, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show, but I've I've thought for a long long time that Barry Bonds didn't become a Hall of Famer because of steroid use. I mean, you could take any pumped up guy from the gym and he's not going to hit 700 home runs. I mean, it's still incredibly hard to do. So I think it's the intent to cheat, which is the part that should get him punished. And sure. I, don't th- I don't think he should be banned from the Hall of Fame because I don't necessarily think the baseball guys should be either. But I think he should be punished in the same way that the other PED users are punished. I think that's more than fair. And one of the big arguments that I've heard from Patriot fans is Aaron Rodgers said on his radio show that he likes to pump up the footballs as much as possible and then see if the referees take any air out of them. And people have said, well, if Tom Brady gets four games, why doesn't Aaron Rodgers get four games? And there's a difference between setting the footballs how you want, even if they're not in the legal level, and then offering them up for review and letting the refs do what they want to them. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially what Tom Brady did is he lobbied for the footballs to the, the, allegedly what he did is he lobbied to have the football set at an illegal level once the referees fixed it put it back into the legal range and signed off on them so they wouldn't inspect him again he had his equipment manager contacts go back sneak in the bathroom and then deflate them so that they wouldn't be checked again that's different that's not even close to the same <laughs> yeah. thing i mean the, I- Go ahead. Yeah, I I think I heard Ryan Russell make a point about that too. Like, well, if Rodgers can say that, why can't why can't Brady get? Why is he getting in such trouble for this? It's like it's completely different. Yeah. And and Rodgers isn't even necessarily saying that he's inflating. I I'm sure he doesn't know what PSI is inflating the footballs to before the refs get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, where it seems specific that Brady knows that's what he's doing and it was so secretive about it. Mm-hmm. Um. And in in terms of the actual PSI itself. I mean, just as somebody who, you know, as a as a receiver having catch the ball, it makes a huge difference too. Like, yeah. there's there can be a big preference for how tight you want the ball. It can be a lot different to catch a ball that's got a little bit more give to it too. So, mm-hmm. although you're right, the intent to cheat is big. I think that there is still a big difference with the inflation part too. Yeah, um, where that could have been a big advantage, especially in a cold game like the Baltimore game or something. Yeah, and and granted, they could have beat the Colts using a coconut. Right. So it's not that big of a deal in that game, but again, if you read the report, there's text alluding to the fact that this was not the first time they ever did it. Right, the Colts, I, I think, kind of came into the game knowing that this was probably going to be the case, right, and kind of yeah. warned some people, so it's 
they warned they the referees the week before the game that yeah. they were suspicious of this because Brady threw two interceptions against Indianapolis in the regular season, and then he threw this one in the game. And, uh, you know, maybe Brett Favre and Peyton Manning with their crippling uh, playoff interceptions, Brian Sipe with the red right 88 for Cleveland, they're off the hook. Maybe Tom Brady threw the most costly interception in postseason history when he ruined his own legacy <laughs> by throwing an interception <laughs> to the Colts because yeah. they might have never known. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up is it was an analogy. I was trying so hard to think of an analogy as to how to explain the Rodgers comment versus what Brady actually did. And the only thing I could think of is imagine that you have a water bottle that is larger than the allotted fluid size on an airplane, and you put it in your baggage, and then the TSA finds it and takes it out. You're probably going to get a dirty look, but then if they take it out, you might get questioned, but they're going to give you your bag back and you're going to go on. If you put a water bottle larger than you're allowed in your bag, the TSA takes it out, and then you have your security guard buddy, after your bag has been scanned and approved, put it back in there. If they find that when you land on the other side, they're not going to give you a dirty look. They're going to send you to federal prison for breaking the law and systematically attempting to break the law, even if you did not pose any danger to that flight. It's all of the intent to circumvent rules that are in place. And I think... Granted, that's an extreme example, but I think it illustrates the difference between saying that you like to bend the rules and allowing the referees to bend them back or straighten them out to to carry on with this analogy, and then bending the rules, having the refs straighten them, and then bending them again behind their back. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't even think they're comparable. I mean, he's up front saying that he's doing it, and then mm-hmm. you know Brady doing what he did. I, I don't even. I've heard that a lot, and I I don't know how you can possibly compare them. Well, it's probably depends on what team you're rooting for. (laughs) Yeah, if you you live on the Northeast Coast, you might be making that comparison. Yeah, and there's been so much shared about this online and a lot of people writing long exposés. The best thing I actually read about this was on uh, Pro Football Talk, the NBC website. There was a comment beneath one of the Mike Florio stories that said, uh, Tom Shady was the comment, and uh, it was written by a user running out of bounds is for gringos. So that's so far (laughs) is the best thing I've read. Legacy. How do you think this affects his legacy? It, I think it definitely does. I, I think if you're a fan of the Patriots, it probably doesn't at all. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in terms of league-wide, it's it's pretty big, really. I mean, especially if you're living during the, during this time period. Eventually, this might be kind of the th- sort of thing you forget about 20 years from now, and he's still considered you know top two quarterbacks of all time. But as of right now, I think it hurts him a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I still think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any chance he misses that. But it, uh, I think especially in a lot of people's mind, it might take him out of that instant discussion. He was right there for best quarterback of all time. And this might just kind of give him the bump back that, that takes him out of that discussion. I think everybody's going to kind of look at him different now. So I think it has a significant impact. Yeah, he just... And I think adding the defiance that he's had to this. Yeah, that w- I think that was the worst part. Just kind of laughing it off in those interviews. And even after it had already come out that what the punishment was going to be like, kind of just before they announced that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that inter- interview uh, the first time he kind of came out after. Um, uh, I did not. I, I have read. See, I he read the whole just report. laughed it off and, and didn't even address it at all. Okay. <laughs> it was just kind of like he looked so guilty. Yeah. And when the story first came out, he sounded so guilty, just laughing and saying that he'd never heard about it. Yeah. It just—he's it, kind of just came off like just kind of a jerk, and you could just kind of tell right away that something was up. Yeah, and uh, I—I'm stealing this phrase from 
thousands of people, but it almost comes across with that old stereotypical NCAA comment, lack of institutional control. It's it's like they don't believe that they're doing anything wrong, and they've bent the rules numerous times now, and it's just, I don't know. I, I don't think, I think a little bit less of him as a player, just because the uncertainty is there. I don't think the question should be how much does a deflated football help you it's what else are these guys up to right yeah just general character issues yeah for sure i mean you've heard teams like the jacksonville jaguars have accused the patriots of years that every time it's crunch time at gillette stadium all of a sudden their headsets go out on the sidelines i mean a lot of these kind of shady things that probably will never be proven marshall falk adamantly believes that the patriots taped them before super bowl 36 and said they blew up plays that the rams had never run before and so there's those kind of things that now sound like crazy consp- or in the past sound like crazy conspiracy theories now while they're not proven they make you wonder and they make you give more credibility to those kind of crazy uh, things that people have been accusing them all these years. Um, I, I think he's still a Hall of Famer for sure. I think Belichick still is, much in the same way that I still think Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are Hall of Famers because I don't think it helps you that much. Um, it it kind of goes to me uh, on another little side note that I said this earlier when Deflategate first happened, but to me, especially after what you described as far as Tom Brady's attitude and Robert Kraft's attitude towards what has happened and Brady's agent, it feels very much like the suffix gate for as often as it used is actually accurate in this case because it so closely matches Richard Nixon and associates for how brash they were uh, in the face of the Watergate scandal at first and also how needless it was. You were going to destroy George McGovern in the 1972 (laughs) election. You didn't need this. Tom Brady was going to beat the Indianapolis Colts and probably a lot of other teams without a couple uh, or a fewer PSI in a football. But so paranoid and so lack of respect for the rules, it just makes him come off like just grade-A jerks. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people, and maybe including myself, had kind of put Spygate behind them. And I, I hated the Patriots right around Spygate time, but I was kind of over it, and I was rooting for the Patriots in the last Super Bowl. And really, they weren't my least favorite team in the world. Um, you know, a well-coached team with a good quarterback was going to be a Hall of Famer. They, I mean, they weren't my favorite team, but they weren't super hard to root for. Mm-hmm. But uh, this kind of changes it all. It just The whole organization just kind of is a little bit tainted overall, and I think Brady's legacy, for me, like you said, is a little bit tainted as well. It's just he's not quite going to be what he would have been before legacy-wise for me going forward. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. So do you think this greatly affects the Patriots team next year? I know four games sounds like a lot, but you know, if even if they go 0-4, if they go, what, 10-2 and with Brady, which is certainly feasible, they still likely are at least a wild card and potentially the AFC East champs. Yeah, I'm, I have no idea how I'm going to pick that division when we do our, our season projections yet because to me it seems like the rest of the teams got all got a little bit better mm-hmm. and they were all fairly good last year too, so maybe this is exactly what they needed and I it sounds like Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty capable, so he can come in and maybe win two games and they're just where they were and no problem. But mm-hmm. it, this seems like this could be the year where they miss out on some things because the other teams in the division are better and they're a little bit worse and miss out on their quarterback for four games. And not to mention on that, it's not like he's probably going to come back week five 
uh, and not have any rust on himself at all. Yeah, because part of the suspension is he can have no access to the team. Right. Correct? Is he allowed to play in the preseason? I, I think so. Okay. The only time the Packers have ever had a situation like this for a guy who actually played, I know they had Johnny Jolly, but his seemed like forever, so I kind of lost interest. But um, Corin Robinson came to the team, and then I think he was suspended in the like a game or two after they got him in 06, and then he was gone for a year, wasn't he? And couldn't have any contact with the team yep. until the middle of the 07 season? Yeah, I think that sounds right. So but, I know he's such a veteran, so it, he knows the system and things like that. And granted, a position like a quarterback is a little different than being a wide receiver, but you know, there's not many surprises, I would imagine, in the Patriots organization uh, for Tom Brady at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It kind of gives the other team, you know, maybe the boost they need to make it an even run. I mean, this could be a four-team race going right down to Week 16 and 17. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one last legacy question. There's so much stuff being thrown out from Patriots fans about, well, if this is the case, then you should hate this guy, and Aaron Rodgers is a cheater. Uh, the big one is Jerry Rice, who... Mm-hmm. I've heard that, too. Yeah, Stickham, I looked it up, Stickham was actually outlawed in 1981, so if he did you uh, indeed use Stickham for a large part of his career, he is absolutely breaking the rules. Do you... He admitted it himself, so there's no yep. reason to believe he would lie about cheating when he didn't actually cheat. That would be one of the more curious moves in the history of sports, but... Do you think less of some of these guys who come out after the fact and admit to cheating? A little bit. I mean, I, I still think he's the best receiver of all time, but it's like, if you're him, why would you say that? Mm-hmm. It, it gives you no benefit other than to maybe get a couple extra hits, you know, and maybe he's a terrible analyst, so maybe that's the only way he get people to watch. Um, he doesn't but, seem that... I, I, I really like Jerry Rice, and this is probably an unfair statement to make, but when he was an analyst and in his comments outside, such as the I used Stick'em, and then he said, I use Stick'em just like everybody, right, guys? And Chris Carter's like, no, never use Stick'em. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. But he just kind of comes off like an idiot, doesn't he? Yeah, he kind of does. It, it, but I, I kind of do. I mean, it it makes you think a little bit less of him, and now maybe this is just for the next year or two, but I, when you hear Jerry Rice, I kind of think about that, too. It's just in the back of your mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in, in this case, at least he came out and said it, as opposed to somebody finding on a report that Jerry Rice used Stick'em. Yeah. It looks a little bit better, but it's still something you think about. Yeah. But granted, on the other end of it, you hear uh, longtime players and analysts say that the gloves of today are as sticky as Stick'em was in 1985. So. And that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think there's there's kind of some some balance there. So yeah, interesting times right now. So at least there's something interesting for us to talk about in May uh, of the NFL offseason. So uh, we're going to wrap it up real quick here, but I, I did want to go to the Facebook page and get some of the comments of other folks that uh, had weighed in on the situation. We had asked earlier on about the suspension and what people thought of that and uh, we had a couple of responses there uh, Daniel Johnson quoted uh, Keith Oberman uh, I'm sorry not Daniel Johnson um, Chris Stanzel quoted Keith Oberman that very Nixon like in the Watergate thing where he said he should be suspended one day for in or deflating footballs and 364 days for lying about it and if they would have given him a year having having read the report that would have been on the extreme end of what I thought was acceptable punishment. I don't. I thought it would be a little excessive, but I could have been talked into it have, have, after having uh, read the report. Uh, I thought six games would have been the sweet spot for him. So, so I wonder if, you know, you kind of hear about how extreme a lot of people thought this was. You wonder if when they do 
kind of come after the league for this if they're going to get this reduced at all. It, mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see because after you know after I got to hear you talk about it a little bit, it seems pretty adequate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they could maybe argue with the draft picks, but it, if they're going to compare it to PEDs, that's a pretty accurate comparison there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much of an argument they really have. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think that you. My first thought was it's going to be two games after they announced it was four, but Goodell's already getting a reputation that he's buddy-buddy with Robert Kraft, and he also has to report to all the other owners as well, and as much of you're trying to make things a fair playing field, there's also some politics involved, and you don't want to appear like you're the whipping boy for one of the owners in the league. Right. You know, you're trying to be friend, not be friends, but you're trying to work for Jerry Jones and those guys as well. And I don't know if it's still Tom Benson, but whoever's the owner of the Saints, if this gets reduced, I'm blowing a gasket after what they did to right. that organization I mean, with similar evidence. Yeah. Yeah, and that was way harsher. I don't remember the exact parameters of that one, but that was a lot worse than this. Well, Sean Payton got a year for, for the year. Sort Drew Brees got... Uh, Drew Brees didn't get anything. Wilma got yeah. a year. Vilma got the yeah, that's right. Yep. And then uh, Greg Robinson is, I, I think he's back in the league now, but he basically got two years. Yeah, he did, because uh, his actual terms was indefinite suspension. That uh, Hargrove, who the Packers signed, was suspended, and then the Packers yep. got rid of him right away. And uh, there were some other lesser fines in there as well. And I think even Joe, is it Joe Vitt, who ended up being yes. the interim coach? He got like six games. Yep. Eric Hansen had a question for us on here that said, does anyone else find it ridiculous that players such as Ndamukong Sue and Warren Sapp, who delivered dirty shots that could have caused career-ending injuries, got a slap on the wrist compared to this? Seriously, how does the NFL create these standards for punishing players? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a tricky one, and I, I kind of do feel that those guys probably should have gotten a little bit more than they do, but I guess the argument I would make against it, not that I want to argue for Sue in any case, uh, but is that, what Brady's doing and what PEDs do, it throws off the balance of the entire game. Yeah. Where, you know, Sue could potentially be injuring somebody, but it doesn't really affect the game. You know, I guess you could say otherwise if he's injuring a star player like Aaron Rodgers, but it's it's just cheating the game, whereas mm-hmm. that's... I, I don't even know exactly where I'm going with this. Maybe you can elaborate better, but it's just... It's not affecting the integrity of the game itself, I guess I would say. There is a difference between getting caught up on a pass rush and blasting Aaron Rodgers with an illegal hit versus if you were Charles Martin of the Packers in 1986 coming into the week saying, I am going to take out Jim McMahon and Walter Payton. Nobody's going to stop me. And then after he throws an interception and is standing around, you pick him up and give him a pile (laughs) driver. That would be the equivalent of what Brady did, I think. Sure. Yep, that's fair. So there's a premeditation in there. There's an intention to cause injury. As much of a turd as Indomitian Sue is, I don't think he enters a game saying that the first opportunity I get, whether it's in the play or not, I'm going to hurt somebody. I think he's just kind of a maniac who lets his aggression take over in the heat of a play, for the lack of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. So um, there is that from Eric Hansen. There's also a thing I posted today that apparently, which I loved the headline on Pro Football Talk that said, group of idiots on internet donate money to much richer people. <laughs> so apparently there are some fans who are crowdfunding the $1 million to pay for Tom Brady's fine. And uh, Corey Ben added, as a comment under the article says, crowdfunding has jumped the shark or nuked the fridge if you prefer. I added at the top that as a person who takes football way too seriously, these people need some perspective in their lives. Holy yeah. cow. 
Yeah, how stupid is that? <laughs> how do they think that, that they need any help with the money on that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, football is like love. You do some crazy things once you're, in, you know, involved with it. And it's easy for us to sit back and, and see the Wells report as accurate. But, you know, there's if, if you flip out Tom Brady for Aaron Rodgers in, in the same case, I'm sure that the arguments for the cheaters would be easier to understand because there's the there's a, an emotion that takes over at that point. Right. Speaking of wacky emotions, apparently the rumor is that 64,000 Packer fans have bought tickets to watch Brett Favre's Packers Hall of Fame induction ceremony on the jumbo screens at Lambeau Field. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, I did well, look up. The, the tickets were only $4, so I'm sure that had a play, but that doesn't sound like it would be the most entertaining uh, evening. You could do anything like that in Green Bay, though, and it would sell out. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't care. I, I I remember, I mean, there's a college right there. There's all those Packer fans living right there. Mm-hmm. If there's any opportunity, it wouldn't even have to be Brett Favre's thing. If they just threw some at Lambeau Field for 4 bucks, they'd probably sell 65,000 tickets, too. As long as the concession stands are open, I think they'll be fine. That's right, yeah. And it, yeah, that, and it's not like there's any passion still for Brett Favre around Green Bay. Even <laughs> as, as divided as everybody was at the time, it, you know, there's still some crazy Brett Favre fans out there. Yeah, and I think even the most um, hardened anti-Farve folks are starting to come back. I'm sure there's some... Yeah, I'm coming around again. Yeah, you you, you don't hate him anymore? I I wouldn't say I hate him. I mean, he's still not my favorite Packer of all time, but I'm... You can kind of, like, chuckle about him and say, like, yeah, we had some good times together. Yeah, he... Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to put it. It's like a friend or a significant other that you had a falling out with, and now it's like, well, you know, we're doing okay now, and you're doing okay, so we can still be friends. That's right. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Um, I don't know when we'll have another show. I'm sure we'll have some, one sometime in the summer. Uh, I don't know about you, Matt, but last year we did the top ten quarterbacks. I thought that was fun. I really want to do at some point the top ten teams, and maybe we just do Super Bowl era, but uh, would that be something you want to try? Yeah, I could dabble in that. Okay, maybe we'll uh, give ourselves a month or so to, to put together our team list, but... At least that'll give us something to do in the offseason rather than speculate on mini camps. Uh, now that the draft yeah, is over, it's so boring until August. At least I think so. <laughs> okay, so for Matt in Altoona, I am Eric in Oshkosh. Uh, if you want to comment on anything you heard today, you can uh, go to our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can tweet at me, at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Uh, we always encourage you to visit the website, which is greengoldforever.podbean.com, where you can hear this episode. We also have articles and our entire log of prior podcasts on there. And you can always email us if you have any ideas for what ifs or or what's the other segment we do? I We haven't done one in so Crossfire. long. Crossfire. Crossfire, there it is. We'll have to do one of those eventually, too, so we, I can actually remember the names of those. So you can email us at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you very much for listening uh, and participating on the Facebook page, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Take care, everyone.